Are you okay? You look stressed. I'm not sleeping. It's the crows in my neighborhood. They wake me up every morning. They're everywhere. Signs and symbols, Ernie. The augury of birds, man. Mm. Come on. Paracelsus says this sort of thing usually foretells doom. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, that's just an FYI. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Extra Hot Great Podcast, episode 214, for the week of August 13th, 2018. I am Donut Shop Chess Set David T. Cole, and I'm here with Blindfold Protocol Sarah D. Bunting. Bonk. Ow. <laughs> Metal Detective Tara Ariano. Another bottle cap. And Sovereign <laughs> Protector Adam Sternberg. No one else chose Sovereign Protector? I'll be Sovereign Protector. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Uh, joining us this week is our beloved Adam Sternberg returning guest. Hello, Adam. Hello. Hello Adam. Yay. Yay! Uh, Adam chose Lodge 49 from a list of options that we could discuss as a lead topic this week. And you let me know over email earlier... Uh, in the process that you watched the first one and you were not crazy about it. Tell us, first of all, what made you choose this uh, among the, the options that were available and, and did you watch more and did you warm on it? Did I choose Lodge 49 or did it choose me? Oh, (laughs) that's the question. Signs and symbols, Tara. (laughs) Someone threw a flyer in the window of your car and, you were inexorably drawn to this topic. I found uh-huh. the screener disc on the beach while I was searching with my metal detector. <laughs> um, I chose this for a bunch of weird, disparate reasons, which is sort of thematically appropriate mm-hmm. to the show itself. I had heard interesting things about it. Uh, I also realized it was one of the few options where it was a brand new show starting so we could just start right from the beginning fresh um and i also have a weird sort of obsession with uh this kind of subgenre of noir fiction that's commonly called surf noir which is about california and surfers and weird little surf towns where weird strange things happen so and i and as i think we've discussed before i also was uh, kind of obsessed with slash massively disappointed by John from Cincinnati, <laughs> the weird pseudo surf noir show from HBO that David Milch did with this guy named Kem Nunn. Uh, so I sort of was hoping that this would be a kind of better, more accessible John from Cincinnati. And I feel like my verdict after having watched three episodes is sort of question mark. <laughs> The reason I said I had mixed feelings is, you know, my initial feeling in watching it is that I appreciated it more than I enjoyed it. And it feels like the kind of show that's more fun to write than it is to watch. Hmm. Um, It's a very kind of meandery, sort of gleefully pointless show that feels a little bit like someone skimmed the tone off a bunch of other things like a Fargo, you know, a Coen Brothers movie yep. and a little bit of Charlie Kaufman and then put it in a bag and with some sand can, and like shook it can up. Can I tell you what I told Tara earlier about <laughs> yes. how to nutshell this show? Uh, I described it as uh, the Big Lebowski meets a four-day weekend you forgot to plan for. 
(laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was pretty good. Yeah, I but you know, I it's weird. Like I I I I watched the episodes and I didn't hate them, but mm-hmm. I'm not I feel no burning desire to continue watching them and I feel like the show yeah. is going to be one of those classic if the world turns around and tells me that Lodge 49 is completely worth investing 10 hours of your life in and that you have to watch it the way they did with for example the leftovers, mm-hmm. then maybe I will run back and and watch the rest of the season, but you know, it raises that eternal question where it's like, can you make a TV show where there are no stakes? And it seems like the show sort of gleefully is saying like, let's find out. But the problem is it doesn't have that, you know, it doesn't give you that burning reason to tune back into each new episode. So it's really interesting that you bring that up because one of my favorite things about this age of television and when new shows appear, because so many shows these days are mystery box shows, right? I mean, that's the easy way to get uh, the 18 to 25 year old TV watcher involved is to throw a mystery at them a la Westworld or whatever. Right. And these shows are just everywhere. So you get a show like this and like the tricky call for the creators and the network is here's a show that on the surface, the elevator pitch seems to be a mystery box show, but in fact is pretty character driven. And at least halfway through the first season, the mystery box elements are kind of background noise. So, like, what's the equation for the creators and the network of how much character development do you get to do in the sort of, like, lazy slacker surfer way versus how long do you have to wait before you get to the hook of the show that you think you're, like, that the general populace is going to want to come on board for? The first episode, I thought, didn't, wasn't quite the same tone as subsequent episodes i actually think the third episode is where the series sort of finds its footing as far as the balance of that goes it is interesting to me it's very interesting to me like in just sort of the commerce of television like how much of this lazy big lebowski tone is was fought for versus like how quickly are they going to get to the lodge 49 fireworks factory that is sort of like <laughs> the stone masons sort of secret society skull and bones you know kind of stuff um and they seem to be taking their sweet ass time with it and although it sounds like maybe adam and sarah were not bored i actually like the more they just sort of kept that keel the more i was getting into the characters uh especially the sister liz seems to be a really great character for this show like adam said it's like coen brothers light for tv and I don't think it's going to set the world on fire, but I kind of like, I'm really looking forward to the back nine or the back five, as it were, for this. Yeah, we watched the first five. Sarah, it sounds like you you agreed with Adam's Adam's uh, ruling on this. How Tell us more about your reactions to the show. Uh, literally, my first note was, is this Wyatt from Cincinnati? Um, <laughs> I found this. See, his name's Sean, and I said Sean from Cincinnati. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Dud from Cincinnati. Yeah. Uh, I, I liked it more and more. I only watched two so far. Um, and I agree that it's one of those that's like, I just, I'm not sure that I have time for this, but I don't regret spending the time that I did spend. There are little moments like when they're giving away free mugs and the sister like yoinks a second one (laughs) from off screen. (laughs) This actor was on, um, Olympus, which only I watched. Yes. 
And it's nice to see her American accent is pretty good. And it's nice to see her doing something that's not a sci-fi original. Sorry, sci-fi originals. She was yeah. in Humans season Heard three as well. She, and, and, I, and her American accent was so good. I actually looked it up to see if she was faking her British accent, which she's not. She is. She is British. Yes, in fact, uh, I like her and her storyline and that little bit at Shamrocks, which is like, that's such low hanging fruit, that kind of bar, but it's very well observed. And the actor playing her manager, Jeremy, is like, <laughs> I always like that guy, too. There's really a lot to like here. And one of the things I like best about it is this Terrier-y mm. feel to it. Yeah. That's like, Terriers is more like desert. California noir and this is more beach California noir but uh I think that Wyatt Russell is very likable you said on Twitter Tara I think that you did not care for him before but he was growing on you because of this yeah he he always I I always thought he was kind of a nothing and and I I mean he's perfect I feel like he's perfectly cast for this part and that makes me like him more because I've seen him in other things the first thing I the first big thing I think I saw him in was in his um his season three episode of Black Mirror. Sure. Um, and then I've also seen him in. It, it's weird because his father comes through just enough. Yeah. But then yeah. there's it also reminded me of that whole family talking about the minor league team that uh, his grandfather, Kurt's father, used to own. Uh-huh. Bing Russell, like what a name for a minor league <laughs> baseball team owner. Um, that's a very good documentary. It's on Netflix. You should all check it out. Um, but he... Uh, he's very good. This kind of role could be super annoying, super easily. Like I'm actually not a huge Lebowski fan. Don't at me. Um, and it's, I mean, it's not because of, it's not because of the performance. It's just that this sort of um, catch as catch can stoner free spirit is a very tired character trope, but he, his portrayal is really good. Like I am looking forward to coming back to it and just seeing what all these characters are getting up to because I, they cast some really good, Hey, it's that guys in this. And mm -hmm. I kind of like a show that looks at like regular people who are not 26 years old and wearing, you know, Louboutins to their ADA job. Like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I like that it has texture. I'm just not sure. It's what Dave was saying. Like in, in this era, are they going to be able to strike the right pace of how much they give away about the puzzle to keep people coming back? And also, do I personally have time for this? Like, I, I want to get back to it, but I'm not sure how high a priority it's going to be. Yeah, I, I think if you watch the first three episodes of the show and you're not in it for all the reasons it presents in those first three shows or episodes, rather, um, then I would say bail. Because, like, I don't think this is a show that's really going to wholeheartedly embrace its mystery box like a show like westworld is you know like westworld like this right. show has sort of like a um, emotional ecosystem sort of between all the characters where the uh lodge is the epicenter of all these characters lives and you know there's all these vignettes about them and you know they pass in and out of each other but like Westworld, they're all sort of like cogs in the machine, no pun intended, but like they're all <laughs> in service of what's going on. And that's the only reason for the show. Right. So I think like. I would say like, yes, is this a mystery box show? Probably, but it's more like a mystery box as background show <laughs> more than 
a lot of other stuff we've seen in the past. Like that's how it got years. sold, but it's actually yeah. about him. So yeah. Yeah. I agree with Sarah in that my my hesitation in the first episode is I thought, oh, this is going to be one of those shows where they're asking us to hang out with a bunch of characters sort of televisually who, if we actually encountered them in real life, would be just incredibly annoying. <laughs> like there was one yeah. scene in the first episode where they almost lost me, where he uh, – where Wyatt Russell's character, Dud, is hanging out in this sort of empty – rental apartment and he's drinking whiskey and then the landlord comes in with some prospective renters and he goes to hide in the closet and they discover him and it's sort of this moment where the show's like oh look at this quirky dud he's hanging out in his underwear in someone's apartment but you're like that guy kind of belongs in prison like (laughs) he he's he seems really irritating and if this whole show is going to be built around him and and there was a little bit of a sort of forced quirkiness uh factor in the first episode there was an exchange with the woman that he sees where she's like it turns out that she went to homecoming with him and they know each other from high school and then her she makes this comment to her i guess fiance who's with her that she gave him a blowjob and you're like okay none of this would ever happen in any universe that involves real people really (laughs) interacting with other real people yeah so i worried that the show was just going to be like a quirk on a quirk on a quirk but as i was watching i did sort of become more affectionate to the characters. I agree that the the character of the sister is quite good. And I and Wyatt Russell is sort of genetically engineered to play this role. Like if, yeah. it's the yeah. combination of Kurt <laughs> yes. Russell and Goldie Hawn, right? Yeah. Um, so and the and Brett Jennings who plays uh the other sort of main character in the show, Ernie, he's very good as well. Um but really it's that and, and the scene that sort of made me sit up a little bit straighter is when they reveal the London office of the lodge. Yeah. And there's sort of this suggestion that there's this kind of Byzantine world of these lodges and that this one lodge is kind of the ne'er do well slacker outpost of it. And I got really interested in like what that world's gonna be, but I just don't know how much of that world we're gonna see uh and how long I wanna wait around to see it. Mm. Well, well and when is that world is my question it had this very like calling the watchers council feel to it yeah 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 the all of that like the the i said to dave the 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 care that they put into like creating the world of the lodge like you know it's the lynx lodge and they you know they have the these like sort of costumey things that they wear for their meetings and then you know the london office and all of the you know, the the premise behind it is like alchemy, but it's only allegorical. You're not supposed to take it literally as, as Blaze has to keep telling Dud as he's, you know, trying to move up the ranks and stuff. Um, all of that is very pleasing to me. And Dave said, I'm not surprised it scratches the same itch in you that likes um, faux industrial films or training films in TV and movies, <laughs> which I do. That's another trope that I love very much. Um, so all of that was really enjoyable to me. Like I, I felt like that goes such a long way to creating the world, but also like the, um, you know, you mentioned uh, Brett Jennings and Wyatt Russell, but like the fact that this is um, executive produced by Paul Giamatti, it kind of makes me think like he just wanted to back this project so he could cast every amazing New York theater actor that he personally <laughs> loves. And I'm with it. Like, I think that's a perfectly fine reason to make a show most of the time. Um, but we haven't really talked a bunch about the plot, but there's not really that much to say. There's this guy, Dud, White Russell character. His He's, you know, really down in his luck because his father has just died. His twin sister is is um, has her life only marginally more together than he does. And we find out over the first several episodes that 
their dad was, you know, had this pool cleaning business that dad used to work for. And then he fell on hard times and took out a whole bunch of debt and has passed away, maybe by accident and maybe not. Um, and Dud is sort of led to the lodge first by finding this a signet ring for it. And then his car runs out of gas right in front of it. And, you know, it's it, there's there's mystical elements as well. And I guess is I mean, it's only really this and. Big Lebowski and John from Cincinnati that I've seen is is the mystical element sort of part of the surf noir genre, Adam? Is that well is that I mean, traditionally really, a trope or a, a motif that runs through them? There there's certainly a lot of talk about Zen and and the sort of mm-hmm. mystic element of surfing and how when right. you go out surfing you're kind of one with the element. I would say what's missing here is the noir element. Because right. in surf noir, to me, what's always the interesting juxtaposition is the sort of laid back surface quality of the surfing lifestyle and these sort of placid, idyllic California seaside towns. And then this idea that there's some kind of crazy thing happening beneath the surface, uh, you know, whether it's like someone is running a porn ring or there's a murder or, you know, whatever it is. And that's often what noir is about. Right. And so, you know, someone had this smart idea to say, oh, like, what if we set a noir mystery in a surf town as opposed to a city? But in this show, there's the, the real tension. There's no crime there's no sort of investigation no one's missing which is fine but there's nothing to kind of fill that vacuum to to give you the propulsive reason to to keep going and you know i feel like the one tension in the show as dave said is like to what extent is the mystical lodge that is the underpinning to this really mystical and how crazy is the world that we're going to discover and but my hunch is not that mystical i'm not sure there's a thing that happens at the end of episode three which made me raise an eyebrow but i don't know if i'm going to keep going to find out again it's like if people tell me that it pays off then i'll probably circle back well and that that was one thing that was like all right well i'm going to keep watching until it's like been confirmed that dud senior is actually dead because i'm not and you don't have to tell me either way i'm just not convinced but it's interesting that animal kingdom is inhabiting like the same basic physical world as this but is shot with completely different filters and it's like no surf all noir so maybe (laughs) they just need to over like the lodge (laughs) kingdom 49 and just uh merge them all together (laughs) because i like animal kingdom but that darkness is relentless and yet it's constant like the way it's shot is just like constant almost burnt out sunlight yeah um and this is very different like there's a lot of fogginess in in this one so yeah, I mean, I mean, I am intrigued. It's an interesting animal for a TV show. I imagine it was a really hard sell, and imagine even you know Paul Giamatti had to really, you know, go in there guns blazing to get this on the air. Because, but it's a for me, it's like a really good balancing act. Like, and I, I think a lot of the problems, I think you have to like at least get to episode two because I think episode one, you know, it's got some pilotitis to it. But um, you know, it's it the the the, the balance of whimsy without getting too like Faye is is well done after the first episode you know the character versus mystery box stuff i feel uh is refreshingly on the character side of things and you know if you had to say like well what is this is it a dramedy is it a comedy is it a you know a, a dramedy it's like it's a little comedy and it's like 
drama on Weedy. Like it's like it's, <laughs> it's 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 an interesting show, and 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 I wouldn't begrudge anybody watching the first couple episodes and saying you're nuts. This is the most boring slow burn TV show in the world. Like I think you're just gonna hook into the characters and enjoy the the sort of uh, weird background that is Lodge Forty Nine for all these characters, or you're not. And I think like it's fine if you're not, you know what I mean? Like this is not like super important TV that all the critics are going to cross their arms and stare at you disapprovingly. If you don't like, like this is definitely super niche show. And mm -hmm. I think you're going to be just sort of like charmed by the characters and want to see where they go or you're not, you're not going to come into this show for the same reasons you may come into Westworld or something like that. Yeah, Adam, I would say watch maybe one more because episode four is like all takes place on the same day as episode three. And it's the aftermath of the event that closes episode three. But it's also a lot of um, just Dud and Ernie driving around trying to find someone and like getting to know each other. And that's I, I think that's that's the high point of the ones that we've watched so far. We watched, as I said, three, uh, five of the ten. Okay. And it's 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 good, and if you still don't are, aren't convinced after that one, I think you're okay to bail. But yeah, I was surprised Dave wanted to watch as many as he did. I'm it's kind of surprised too, but yeah. that makes me in, more intrigued. <clears throat> and I do think the show has like it has good taste. Like there's good moments. It's well directed. It's well cast. There's little quirky things that happen where you go, oh yeah, that's a funny observation about life. There's a there's a moment where the sister is in traffic ah, and someone's honking that. at her uh -huh. and she's stuck there. And then she's just, why are you honking? And she gets out and yells. And it turns out to be this like completely obnoxious vape store guy that we yeah. just met. And I was like, that is 100% a thing that happened to someone in the writer's room of this show. Like yeah. that's just an observed piece of California life. So that makes me have some faith in it and makes me feel like if the overall plot can be just interesting enough, then it would be worth going back to. It's time to go around the dial. Let's talk about what we're watching these days. First stop, Tara Ariano. Insecure is back. Insecure is back for season three. It's a it's a weirdly uh, appropriate um, bookend to Lodge Forty Nine, actually, because both of them about are, are about being economically insecure in California in this in this time. Uh, actually, it's go. not clear that I'm not. I'm not getting. No, I'm not. But All I. Right. I to back up slightly, it's not clear what time it is. He, when Dud gets a phone, it's a flip phone. So maybe it is supposed to be earlier than our current day, but never mind. Um, Issa is back. Uh, she is still at her terrible job, but now she's also lifting because she left her apartment at the end of season two. And now she's sleeping on Daniel's couch and it is terrible <laughs> because they have no boundaries and neither knows what they want from the other. But uh, her relationship with Molly is still great. Molly is also trying to... Uh, set her boundaries with Dro, the married guy that she's sleeping with because he has an open relationship as far as she knows. Um, the uh, the first episode is very good. I hadn't realized how much I missed it until it came back. And uh, there's a whole long sequence where Issa gets uh, Molly to go with her driving Lyft by calling it the party lift. <laughs> and they pick up a couple of really young girls on their way to the club who then rate Issa and Molly with <laughs> afterwards. They think they were all having fun and having snacks and stuff and then find out that these girls thought it was like getting a lift from your aunties. Uh, which is a really mean oh. neck because they're only in their thirties. Um, 
Insecure is one of the best shows on television. I'm so happy it's back. Uh, if you have not watched it, the first two seasons are really short. They're all on HBO Go. Um, it's tremendous, and everyone should watch it because it's very good. Uh, HBO Sunday nights. And for my plug, uh, I was on the I Hate It But I Love It podcast talking about Bring It On last week, which is super Woo-hoo. duper fun. You can find it in the show notes. Um, and I also want to plug uh, the Claws season two finale recap uh, is, is also up at previously.tv. And that closes the chapter with a lot of my complaints about what the sh- what the show gets wrong about how businesses work. And how the law works. And how and speaking how, voices work. I uh, mean. Thank you. You're, yeah. It was an excellent recap and not just because it was frustrated with it in exactly the same ways that I was. Grr. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, here's one piece of paper for you to sign over $68 million worth of real estate to me. Like, no, that's not how it works. But whatever. Um, I still love Niecy Nash. And I will cape for that show for as long as it is on but it does frustrate me so i'm glad that we can take a break from each other uh for that reason adam j sternberg (laughs) i'm gonna talk about uh my absolute favorite show of the last few years i begged tar to let me talk about this even though it's it's not technically back in any meaningful way, though you can go and watch it right now. I intend to rewatch it shortly, and that is Babylon Berlin on Netflix. What uh, is this? Is, I have barely heard of it except for you and Catherine Van Aaron talking oh, about it. Oh, allow me to proselytize. So, uh, and there's a vague news peg to this, which is that they just announced that season three of Babylon Berlin has gone into production in Germany. So that means that we should be seeing the episodes on Netflix, I'm guessing early next year, but the first two seasons are on Netflix right now. And I feel like one of the great travesties of the, of the year, I mean, it's not really in the top 10,000 great travesties of the year, but (laughs) that this show somehow did not become like one of those cult talk about shows on Netflix. There's Mm. some obvious impediments to that happening. For example, the show's in German uh, and comes with subtitles. You can watch it with dub dialogue, but I highly recommend you watch it in the original German. Um, so the show is a German production. It, uh, it stars no one you've ever seen before. It's all European actors. It's filmed in Germany. The only person who's involved in it, who you probably have heard of, is this director, Tom Twyker. Who oh, yeah. A million oh, years sure. ago did Run Lola Run and is like a big deal film producer in Germany. And when they made this show, it's, it's financed by Sky TV who has a lot of money and it's the most expensive show ever produced in mainland Europe. And the idea was that the German television industry was going to take this big home run swing and try to make a show that would break out internationally. And it has gotten quite a bit of attention and you can watch it on us Netflix. And it is a sort of, it's a procedural cop show with a little bit of noir. It takes place in Weimar, Germany. So sort of pre Nazi era, Uh, some people have described it as like cabaret meets the wire, which in a weird way doesn't do it justice, but it is very, uh, vivacious. It's an incredible period recreation. It, the production design is so beautiful. You can't believe that they were able to, I mean, it literally to me is the most production wise. It's the most impressive show I've seen other than game of Thrones. It looks that good. And the recreations of like 1920s and early 1930s Germany are so beautiful. Uh, The cast is uniformly excellent because they have a lot of good actors in Europe that you've never heard of. Um, And it's about these, it's nominally about this police officer who comes from Cologne to Berlin at this very sort of 
tent is moment and gets involved in this crazy conspiracy involving a train full of gold and lost heiresses and Russian intrigue and, of course, the rise of the Nazis, although that part of it is like very much in the background. Um, but it's also got these lavish musical numbers. It's got dream sequences. It has these sort of fantastic breakout performances from these different actors, including this woman named Liv Lisa Fries, who plays this young woman who is, starts out as kind of a typesetter slash prostitute and becomes a homicide detective. Hang um, on. Typesetter slash prostitute. <laughs> does hey, she do it's... her own does she do her own flyers? <laughs> she's she's a typist. <laughs> And a prostitute. It's daytime, that? nighttime. She's okay. moonlighting. Okay. She's got a side hustle. Man, you know, I, I haven't heard of this show, but um, I took two years of German history, uh, like Weimar German history in university. So finally, a use for those two years. <laughs> well, someone I only heard about it because someone on Twitter literally just tweeted at me and said, you would like this show. Yeah. And I watched the first 10 minutes of the first episode and I was like, I am all in on this. This is oh, exactly wow. what I want to watch. And I will say one thing about it. And there's a bit of a thematic thread I realized in hindsight between the shows we're talking about today, between Lodge 49 and this show and Killing Eve. I, I have the, I've had this sort of unspoken uh, beef with like American peak TV, which I like to call creeping what the fuck where it's like everyone's decided that the, the the hallmark of a quality show is that you never know what the fuck's going on at any given yes. time. And that somehow is like the, 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 the earmark of quality. And this show is very old fashioned in the sense that it doesn't try to confuse you. There's no puzzle to solve. It's just about these compelling characters who are very rich, very well drawn, being put into these sort of morally complicated situations and having to like figure out what to do in the way that The Wire was sort of like that. And then it also recalls The Wire because it just pulls out, 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 and you start to see more and more layers of this world until you feel like you're getting this very intricate portrait of this period, this, you know, obviously very portentous moment in history. It's so good. The two people in the world who who love it, which are me and Catherine von Arendt, <laughs> will we talk about it to each other incessantly? Uh, I tell you, if you watch literally the first ten minutes of the first episode, you'll know if it's your for you or not. But it's so great. good, and it's just waiting there for you to watch it. And my PSA is that it's confusing because Netflix has packaged the first two seasons as one season, so it just says it's a sixteen episode season, oh, okay. and then you get news that like oh season three is coming out. So what happened to season two? The first two seasons are available. Season three is in production. Go watch the first two seasons now, and then you like me will be waiting uh, impatiently for the the <laughs> third one. But that it is my hi highest yeah. recommendation. Sounds like a weekend project for us, Tar. Yeah, you will zoom through. There's the 16 episodes are an hour each, and you could easily watch them in like a week to ten days. I we it's the first show I've watched in a week quite to a while. Ten days, <laughs> man, that's lightweight. Jeez. He has a kid. Yeah. Ten hours to a day. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I this was the first show I've watched probably since Breaking Bad, where I had that you know Portlandia like one more, one more, one more <laughs> thing, where yeah. I just was like, I I could stay up till two a.m. It's all right. We'll just watch one more episode. It's it's so compelling. Um. For my plug, Woo! I wrote a book uh, called The Blinds. It's a thriller, a bit of a noir thriller itself. It does not take place in a surf town. It takes place in western Texas. Uh, and it has come out in paperback. It's coming out actually the day that we're recording this. So by the time you hear this, it will be in the world, available at all your favorite bookstores. Please go and check it out. And if you like it or you want to tweet at me about it, you can find me on Twitter at Sternberg. 
is my thing. Uh, if you pick it up, let me know. I would be very happy to hear about it. It's, but uh, just I, I ear read it via Audible, so just know that if you uh, you know need something else to put in your ear holes instead of this podcast, um, it is available there as well. Uh, yes. we, yeah, we'll link all. We'll link your Twitter and uh, and to your and to the book's website in the show notes. Can you give like a elevator description of what the book's about? It takes place in a remote town in western Texas. It's a hundred miles from civilization, and all the population of the town are made up of ex criminals who've had all memory of their criminality erased. So it's sort of like Lost meets the Witness Protection Program. And uh, then something bad happens. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, then something bad happens. <laughs> awesome. Sarah D. Um, Okay, speaking of something bad, <clears throat> uh, I finally got around to watching Newspaper Man, The Life and Times of Ben Bradley, which is an HBO documentary. I'm sure you can find it on HBO Go. Should you? Well, here's the thing. Um I have uh, watched all the president's men and been self-soothing with not just that, but other Watergateiana as much as anyone in the last year and a half. But I really did not like uh, Bradley's memoir. And this film uh, is based heavily on it. Uh, it's a perfectly competent build of a documentary. The director has done a whole shit ton of American experiences and front lines. And it's partly voiced over by bradley's audiobook reading of his memoir which is pretty much the same specious performative mea culpa as the text um he asks himself a bunch of rhetorical questions about his nature and his guilt and morality when he leaves yet another wife to the drudgery of raising the umpteen kids that they had together to trade up quote unquote to a younger model it's the way it's done is just highly self-serving and it doesn't make him any less great of a reporter or an editor or a public steward of our democracy. But I just wish that this documentary, as well as his memoir, had stuck to that and not brought his, frankly, to me, repellent personality into it uh his the, like the highly disingenuous self-reporting of his various love affairs does not make for a particularly attractive 90 minutes but it is only 90 minutes of your life versus reading the book which i struggled resentfully through over the course of a weekend and uh this does not spend what felt like months like in real time in the pacific theater of his wartime exploits on some boat whatever <laughs> sorry greatest generation but who cares <laughs> anyway this sat on my dvr for eight months and it probably should have just been left there so i would go back and watch all the president's men again it's a little longer but uh it's it's a lot of fun the post is going to be on hbo in a minute too i'm sure uh yes which uh equally big part of his you know working story and uh the post was a perfectly pleasant like Watergate so or, um, you know, soother of the past. So yeah, not, not great. Um, Bob Woodward. Um, 
I can, however, <laughs> speaking of Watergate, uh, I can recommend uh, our next episode of The Bladder Presents that will have dropped by the time you're listening to this. And uh, Alex Collins and I are talking about Slow Burn. Uh, their first season was about Watergate, but the second one is about Bill Clinton's high crimes and misdemeanors. And we're talking about that and uh, CNN's Patty Hearst podcast, which was called Patty Has a Gun. Uh, we had a lot of fun drawing parallels between, quote, Tanya and Monica Lewinsky. How did we do that? You will have to listen and find out. <laughs> uh, that is The Blotter Presents, available on all your fine podcast apps and also all the other ones. <laughs> uh, Tara wanted me to talk about The Venture Brothers, which is back, and I didn't really have a lot to say, except it seems to be continuing its return to form that it started last season. So that's nice. A lot less yeah. creepy underage girl jokes that the creators seem to think it was really Ooh. funny from a couple seasons ago. So yeah, yeah, on that. Um, yeah, Clancy Brown made his debut as the re- a mask of a Red Death character with a daughter that had the same face as him and pigtails, which was very cute and funny. <laughs> I think uh, that character has the- been. The- I think that's a returning character. Oh, is he okay? I didn't I remember so. him. But the the second episode is a uh, is a is very jawsy, and that was also extremely oh, entertaining. Yeah, it was really good. It is it's it's like well those. Done. The homage that isn't like just like we did it just like Jaws, so it's funny, right? Which is really annoying thing in the last ten years. They actually yes, but they purposefully. (laughs) Yeah, they they worked in what my favorite new character on the the time that we we obviously went to see it on July fourth at the Alamo Draft House because of America. But the character that I noticed this time was the one on the dock at some point where they say whatever. He only has one line and it's, oh, what? Like just really (laughs) weird, over the top, fruity 70s, like fisherman. And that character made it into this episode of Venture Brothers, which is like, okay, all time classic. because They love that guy, too. Yeah. Um, And. When, Adam, you're talking about somebody on Twitter just pinging you, telling you to watch Babylon Berlin, it reminded me that we had a Candace mission a couple months ago by um, Josh Gondelman, writer of... Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you listen? Have you watched the characters, Tim Robbins... I did watch it. I I watched it because I heard that canon submission from Josh Gondelman, who I also <laughs> know from Twitter and follow on Twitter. And I did watch it, and it and then I showed it to my wife, and it was as funny as advertised. Okay, good. I have to say, as soon as yeah, as soon as you mentioned, I was like, oh my god, this is Sternberg nip, and this is he's got to watch this. So yeah, yeah, especially I have to say that first one uh, that is just was one hundred percent of my wheelhouse. That that. Uh, <laughs> whatever his name is johnny fantastic or yeah. sammy the Rat Pack guy. yeah and that all that i mean and those sketches were such simple premises but just perfectly crafted perfectly developed never like you know the the dead horse was beat just enough times and yes, then it was out yeah. <laughs> and um yes and it, i was simultaneously like exhilarated because i had discovered this thing but then vaguely depressed because i was like how many things like this are there in the <laughs> world <laughs> That I'm not going to discover because I happened to hear someone recommend it on a pocket. Like, uh, but yes, I 100% ran out and watched it, and I am a satisfied customer. Oh, good. I am glad. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, the thing I wanted to talk about for my uh, subject here is we bought as a treat to ourselves when we uh, relocated here to Austin. So I went out and bought a nice big 4K television. We had not yet entered the 4K uh, timeline. And I got, did a little research, asked our friend uh, Omar, who's the tech writer for the Osman Statesman's here, to confirm that the TV set that I was thinking of was the right one. And for those that are curious, we got a LG OLED 
4K TV. I think it's 60 inches. It's pretty big. Um, and you want to get OLED because that's the way you get those true blacks, whereas a traditional TV, black is just as little light as possible. On OLEDs, black is black because instead of one big light, it's actually every pixel is its own you know, flat you know, light bulb, so to speak. Um, so it's really nice. I really love 4K television. There's not a lot of it yet. Netflix seems to be where you're going to get most of it. But DirecTV suffers is is yeah, direct tv and all those kind of things like they're generally doomed like you know i think the writing's on the wall that you know eventually all our television will be ip tv will be going over the internet rather than don't say that beaming between dishes <laughs> but how has direct tv they just ignore 4k interfaces so if you're on a 4k tv all your menus all your you know, uh, guides and recording lists, they're all still in 1080, which is like one quarter the resolution of a 4K television, pretty much. So everything is like a little bit blurry, a little bit blobby, and nothing really looks crisp. And it just makes me feel like DirecTV doesn't care about me. (laughs) (laughs) I spend so much time on a computer and dealing with UI and UX stuff. It really bugs me when something like such a big entity like DirecTV can't get off their ass and do a 4K version of their interface. Like, it is not a small project, but it's not such a big project that it couldn't have been done by now. Like, I'm a pretty late, uh, you know, comer to 4K television. They've been out for a long time. And, you know, if you go to Costco or you go to Best Buy, like, pretty much that's all you can buy. Like, anything that's over 40 inches is 4k now and then like you know the budget ones are 1080 the ones you can buy for you know 180 bucks now you know like your 32 inch tvs so i don't know it just really bugs me that i have a 4k everything you know the apple tv's 4k and we were watching you know mad max in 4k and it looks absolutely amazing and you watch netflix new netflix shows that they make themselves and they're in 4k and they look great and then you go to fucking direct tv and it's like this bullshit menu that looks like you've Pong uh, scanned a Vic twenty to you know to your it's true. It does I'm look just bad. saying <clears throat> this is why you know DirecTV is why we can't have nice things and it really bugs me. Tara, your thoughts? <sighs> Don't be mad at me, DirecTV. I still love you. <laughs> it is time for the canon submitting this week. Adam Sternberg, take it away, Adam. My submission for the canon this week is a bit of a departure for me because in my previous submissions, I've tended towards older episodes of older shows, kind of classic TV, and what I thought was playing it safe. This time, I wanted to submit a brand, piping, fresh, hot new show, which is uh, Killing Eve, season one, episode one. Episode title is Nice Face. Uh, and now, there, as I mentioned, uh, talking about Babylon Berlin. I feel like there's there's shows that like the whole world tells you to watch all at the same time. I feel like that happened this summer with Succession. All of a sudden, everyone just decided like you have to watch Succession and you hear this sort of general drumbeat. Mm-hmm. And then there's sort of bespoke shows that get re- recommended to you specifically by people who say, oh, you should check out Killing Eve. This show for me was both. I, you know, everyone was talking about it. And at the same time, individual people were saying to me, oh, you should check this out. It's really up your alley. And yet... Initially, I resisted. And the reason I resisted is because I enjoy a good procedural. I enjoy a good spy thriller, so much so that I've actually watched quite a few of them. And I just looked at it and thought, you know, 
I've watched The Fall. I've watched a lot of sort of Brit Cedral shows about <laughs> like obsessive investigators tracking brilliant killers. And then it turns out they're not quite as different as you'd think, really two sides of the same coin. And as much as I love Sandra <laughs> Oh, uh, which I do, you know, I just this this really went on the back burner for me. I was intrigued by the involvement of Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who uh, is also known uh, for creating and starring in and writing Fleabag, which I know you guys recently inducted the pilot of that series into the canon. And the juxtaposition of, of I knew her work from Fleabag and the idea of, of seeing what she would do with a spy thriller was intriguing to me. Then, by fortunate happenstance, I broke my foot and I was couch bound for at least a week. And I sat down and watched the entire season of Killing Eve and I thought it was brilliant. And I especially thought that the very first episode was exceptionally good. And the reason being that, uh, as Dave alluded, there's sort of this phenomenon of pilotitis. We, we kind of grade pilots on a curve. Uh, because pilots are so hard, you have to introduce the characters, you have to introduce the premise, you have to introduce the complication that's going to drive the series forward. And you have to do all that in sort of a 45 to one hour package of television. And usually pilots are very overstuffed and confusing, and it takes a little while for the show to sort of find its legs. I think this pilot is so well conceived and so well executed and, and demonstrates all the things that are sort of interesting about the series as a whole. That's why I chose to submit this episode for the canon. So the basic premise of Killing Eve is we have this investigator played by Sandra Oh. Her name is Eve Pulaski. And we have this sort of Pulaski. glamorous assassin, Pulaski. And we have this glamorous assassin uh, played by Jodie Comer, uh, who we learn is named Villanelle. The first scene of the show, the cold open, we get the requisite huge letter title card. They're in Vienna. And there's this kind of interesting little vignette that plays out where uh, Villanelle is sitting in an ice cream parlor and she sees this little girl eating ice cream. And she's kind of staring at the little girl and she smiles at her and the girl doesn't smile back. And then the girl does start smiling at someone else and Villanelle looks over and realizes that she's responding to the sort of affectionate gaze of the ice cream store attendant. At this moment, when I first watched this, I thought, okay, she's going to kill the attendant. That's going to be the sort of stunning cold open for the show to show how brutal she is. She's going to murder this guy because he's creepy because he's smiling at a little girl. What actually happens, I never could have predicted. She stands up. <laughs> she checks her watch. There's a tiny drop of blood on her watch, which is a perfect little touch. She stands up. She walks out of the store. And as she's walking out, she dumps the ice cream into the lap of the little girl. <laughs> Which sort of announces everything that the show is going to be about. It's all about this idea of like how we look at women, how women look at each other, the sort of preconceptions we have about people, what happens when people start to test their own preconceptions. And also the show sort of says, there's no boundaries here. We're going to go there. We're going to dump a bowl of ice cream into a little kid's lap. <laughs> We're actually going to do worse to a little kid later in the show. So immediately I was intrigued. And then we go into uh, the show. We then meet Sandra O's oh's character, Eve, and this is a classic genre trope, right? In a spy thriller or a cop show, it's the hero who wakes up screaming from a bad dream. This is to communicate that the hero is haunted and complicated by some sort of mysterious past. Immediately, we meet Sandra O. Oh. She wakes up. She's screaming. Her husband's shaking her. What is it, Eve? What is it? What is it? And she says, oh, I fell asleep on both of my arms. <laughs> And then when he reacts, she's like, what? It really hurt. And again, I felt like this is the show saying to you, 
we're not going to avoid the tropes. We're not going to ignore them. What we're going to do is we're going to subvert all of them. We know that you know what to expect, and we're going to use those expectations against you, both to make you laugh and also to make you think and to work towards the sort of thematic, overall thematic concerns of the show. So the first clip that I have here is an interaction between Eve and her assistant, Elena, who's played by Kirby Howell Batiste. And this, weirdly enough, I feel like this minute is maybe the most well-crafted minute of the whole episode. So why don't we listen to the clip? Well, at least we have the whole weekend to record. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. Happy Saturday. You were superb last night. Thank you. What's going on? Oh, did you get me a croissant? No. Do you want the rest of this? I wasn't want the rest of that. Um, How are you so perky? You left after I did. I went for a run this morning, then I ate some coal. Apparently it's a thing. I feel great. Okay, from what I can eavesdrop on, a Russian sex trafficking politician's been murdered in Vienna. Oh, no. I know. Bum out. Why are they crying about it here? Don't know. Was it a contract kill? I don't know. You really earn your money, you know. I have no idea what we do here. Get me a croissant. Right. Everyone's in there with Frank. Go. And, oh, Lord, it's Carolyn Martins. Who? MI6 Russia desk. Oh, I'd nail a cousin to work with that woman. Stone cold badass. Well, I'll put in a good word. No, please don't. You're the late one. <laughs> what I love about this exchange, it's kind of a standard TV walk and talk where you're getting some exposition, but we've never met these two characters essentially before. We know very little about them and we learn everything about the relationship that we need to know in this one minute. The whole uh, back and forth about the croissant, like, oh, you didn't get me one. Oh, is that what I'm supposed to do? I don't even know what we do here. But then she actually did get the croissant and that actually becomes a sort of recurring joke through the next scene too. Um, their whole interaction feels very human. It's very funny. And also it communicates to you that, you know, often when you sit down to watch a show, you think you know what you're going to get. You're either going to get thrills and violence and excitement, or you're going to get sort of funny back and forth between snarky characters in like a relationship comedy. This show kind of says it's the whole smorgasbord. You're going to get a little bit of everything. So just sit back and get ready to be entertained. Uh, the next clip is just one line, but I wanted to include it here. So let's listen to that. Well, thank you all for giving us your Saturday. Turns out people are still murderous bastards on the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is Frank, who is their boss, trying to be funny at the beginning of this meeting. And I love that strange, awkward, strangulated little laugh he gives at the end of his failed joke. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the moment where I felt like the show announces to us that this is going to be all kinds of shows. It's going to be a procedural, yes. It's going to be a spry thriller, yes. But it's also going to be the kind of funny workplace comedy that British people do so well. Um, that these characters are going to feel human and they're going to feel relatable even as they go through through sort of insane experiences involving espionage and murder and poison dispensing hair clips. Um, it also starts, you know, this scene also starts to introduce a lot of the uh, uh, ways in which the show is going to subvert the, the tropes of the genre and start using them in service of the larger thematic concerns of the show, which are how we see women, how women see each other, and how women exist both in this familiar genre and also in the larger world. And the show is going to do all that while being both wildly entertaining and genuinely laugh out loud funny. 
Then in the next section, we meet Villanelle. So she's obviously the counterpart to Eve. She's beautiful and slightly strange. She has a weird relationship with other women. She's always kind of checking them out. We've already seen her dump ice cream into the lap of a little girl. She has a funny exchange with her frumpy landlady who ends up calling her an asshole twice. <laughs> uh, and then we see, again, a sort of familiar genre scene. She gets home to her apartment slash layer. She puts her wig away. She's completed her assignment. There's a great visual gag where she pulls out a drawer and there's a, a box of bullets and a box of tampons side by side and they sort of visually echo each other. Um, and this is kind of a pattern throughout the show. Each of the scenes is sort of familiar. It hits all the beats of the genre. We're going to see the scene where the glamorous assassin is unpacking. We're going to see the scene in which the glamorous assassin figures out a brilliant way to assassinate someone. We're going to see the scene where the investigator has a hunch about the person that no one else believes, but she can't let it go. So she's worrying away about it. But every time they introduce it, the, the writing is also going to undercut it in a way that actually makes you think about what those scenes mean and work towards the sort of thematic resonance of the whole show. Uh, it's hard. One of the difficulties with this in, in drawing clips is that much of the scenes with Villanelle in the first episode don't take place in English. Uh, so it's a little tricky to pull clips from her, but I have some good ones later on. We see an elaborate scene where she murders a, an Italian uh, a sort of tycoon in, in a scene that I think very consciously mirrors The Godfather. And in mm -hmm. fact, I looked up on the second viewing whether the dress that Villanelle wears is is sort of an homage to the dress that uh, Michael Corleone's Italian bride wears in the extended Italian sequence in The Godfather, because I feel like there, there has to be a conscious echo here. And when you think about that character in The Godfather, she exists in that movie only to be murdered. That's She can't even speak English. She basically shows up, she is beautiful, she is murdered, and she then sends the male protagonist off on his uh the rest of his sort of journey and i feel like this is one of the shows that the things that this show does really smartly it makes these sort of nods to these other genre staples but says like think about how these characters exist think about what how what they're used for and we're going to do it differently the next clip is is an exchange between Eve and her husband, and it's kind of a telling exchange and gets at this notion that these characters aren't exactly what they th we think they are when we first see them. How would you kill me if you could? Um, I don't know. Push you down the stairs? No, seriously. They, they come for you immediately. <laughs> I don't know. Flatter you to death. Okay. How would you kill me? I'd paralyze you with saxotoxin and suffocate you in your sleep. Chop you into the smallest bits I could manage, boil you down, put you in a blender, then take you to work in a flask and flush you down a restaurant toilet. You've really thought about that. Smart, huh? Very. Sexy? Hugely. Do you want supper? Ooh, yes. Thank you. Okay. Love you. Love you. <laughs> what I love about this exchange is that, you know, what we've seen of Eve already is she's sort of this vaguely disorganized kind of flighty uh, functionary at work who's like complaining because no one bought her a croissant. But here we see that, you know, these are things that she's thought about. She's actually quite diabolical. And there's a side to her, not only that we're seeing for the first time, but that she's seeing for the first time. And that through the course of the series, she's going to be encountering more and more of this part of herself that's sort of fascinated with power and fascinated with uh, death and all the, the sort of themes of the uh, the show. And I love how the kind of 
traditional gender roles are swapped in this scene and the husband becomes sort of dismissive and he's got that patronizing line where he says, I don't know, I guess I'd flatter you to death. And then he's, the response is to say, well, I would chop you into little pieces and flush you down a restaurant toilet. <laughs> so that kind of tension is what I think makes the show so electric. And I, I, I really, this is where the writing of Phoebe Waller-Bridge really comes through and I think is really, really smart. <laughs> I wanted to have at least one clip of Villanelle. So this clip is Villanelle interacting with her handler, Constantine, who we've only briefly met and we're not entirely sure yet what the nature of their relationship is. Uh, but let's listen to that clip. Three days ago, one of Moscow's most controversial politicians was found professionally murdered in a pretty street in Vienna. Very good. The murder took place in a CCTV blind spot. Also good. The politician's girlfriend was reportedly with him while he died. Fine. And was not harmed. Not so good. She is currently in London where she will be interviewed as a principal witness to the murder. Bad. Which will take place tomorrow. Very bad. Have you had the haircut? Yes. Hmm. The train leaves in an hour. So keep the job tidy, huh? Your fancy hairpin is all over the press. Don't worry. I got another one. It's not funny. That was a bit. <laughs> they won't catch me. They might. They won't. No, listen, they might. They won't. Make it look like suicide. First class. Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The thing I love about that exchange is, again, it's a very standard kind of expositionary exchange that you would have in any kind of show of this sort. The, the one character sort of laying out the stakes and saying, OK, here's what's happened and here's what needs to happen. And yet you have this brilliant little one minute sort of pas de deux between these two characters where you learn so much about their relationship. He's concerned. She's not. She plays with the fact that she knows he's more concerned than she is. And there's even a couple of laugh lines in there. And I don't feel like that's the kind of thing you expect when you're watching this kind of show. Uh, when I think of procedurals, they often feel very grim and, and it's very hard to, to shoehorn humor into them. Here, the humor feels very natural and it's really kind of amazing. I think it's a good testament to what happens when you take a writer who's known for doing one thing and you put her into a totally different situation and give her a chance to write something else. You get something that's kind of like alchemically magical. Uh, the episode climaxes in, again, a very familiar sort of genre scene, which is the witnesses in the hospital. This is the sort of situation they've just been describing. She's protected by a bunch of armed police. Uh, Eve is there to make sure that she's going to be okay. And this, again, is a situation we encounter a lot in in these kind of shows and movies is the sort of how's the assassin going to get in and pull off the impossible by eliminating this person. Um the thing that is amazing to me about this scene, and this is what I think Sandra Oh brings to this series, and she's got this Emmy nomination for it. Uh, it's a, it's, on one level, it's a very fantastical show. It's got lots of sort of flights of fancy. It's got poison hairpins and international intrigue and assassins. And yet the emotional moments feel real and they feel resonant. So let's listen to the next clip. This is when uh, Eve comes back and re and discovers that the hospital room in which she's left her witness is full of dead bodies, including the witness who's dying. Dom? Oh my God. Oh my God. 
Oh my God! Oh Jesus! Okasha, Okasha, please, please stay with me. Somebody help me! Oh my God, somebody help me! Okasha, stay with me, stay with me. AMC Network's Sundance Now is a premium streaming video service offering a rich selection of prestige dramas, heart-stopping thrillers, and gripping true crime series from around the world. Sundance Now believes that life is more enriching when experienced through perspectives that differ from our own. Why is Sundance Now so awesome? Sundance Now's catalog includes award-winning original content, international exclusives, and hard-to-find properties at a fair price. You get premium content and no commercials for as low as $4.99 a month with an annual membership. And you can enjoy it anywhere. Sundance Now works on all your favorite devices. Download the app or watch online on Apple and Android devices, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. My favorite aspect of Sundance Now is their documentary library. Pop culture investigations like The Cult of J.T. Leroy, The Pussy Riot Doc, and that must-see for Project Runway fans, Bill Cunningham, New York. But the catalog is impressively deep on the true crime front, too. There are lots of films I've covered for my true crime newsletter, but just as many I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I had to force myself not to start Valentine Road instead of recording this ad, so... Let's get to that promo code so that I can get back to the film, and you can join me free for 30 days. Start streaming your next obsession. To try Sundance Now free for 30 days, go to SundanceNow.com and use promo code EHG. That's S-U-N-D-A-N-C-E-N-O-W.com and use promo code EHG for 30 days of free streaming. Thanks, Sundance Now! Benja, Dobja. Benja, Dobja. No, 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 no. Oh, somebody help me! Uh, just listening to that again, it's giving me goosebumps. I have to say that that, you know, in a traditional kind of espionage thriller, you would see the scene and the hero would walk in and survey the bloodshed and then pull their gun out and cock it and be like, I don't know who's responsible for this, <laughs> but I'm going to make them pay. And then they'd like run out of the room. And here Sandra O oh makes a completely believable scene about walking into a room full of dead people and knowing that all of them are dead because of something you did. And it's you know, in the midst of this very fantastical show, there's these completely resonant, grounded, emotional moments. Uh, the next scene is one of my favorite ones, this next clip. Uh, again, this is probably the most familiar genre trope in the entire episode. It's the classic you're off the case scene <laughs> where the investigator has gone too far. They pushed the wrong buttons. <laughs> they went up against the wrong person. And now their superior has to come in and tell them, that's it. You're off the case. Turn in your badge. So here is the scene in which Eve and her uh, boss, Bill, find out that they're going to be fired. From what I've managed to gather, you have conducted an illegal investigation. You've manipulated a witness. You've put a minor in danger. Oh, and on top, no, don't interrupt me, Bill. On top of that, you failed at your actual job. No doubt because you were so busy executing your pretend job, which I believe was going to earn you 20 quid. And what you both seem to think is the most important thing about this case. No, the case. most important thing is that I was right about no, the fact... No, the most important thing, Eve, is that four people are dead and it's all your fault. 
Are you right about? Kasha described the killer as Aladeja, which means flat-chested. No one. How do you know that? Because I secretly recorded the interview and brought it home and asked Dom and my husband to translate it for me. You're fired. You're a dick swab. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. No, I was going to call you a dick swab. <laughs> Clearly, there's going to be some reshuffling in your department. <laughs> that is such a brilliant exchange that scene does so many things all at once it establishes real stakes for the show in that it's actually true that eve's actions have led to four people being killed and it really is her fault and yet there's a laugh out loud comic payoff to the scene they have the whole thing with the dick swab and then fiona shaw as carolyn just sweeps in at the end with like the best punchline of the whole thing about the reshuffling in her department you know, when when you watch Fleabag, it's impressive that someone could take a comedy and infuse it with like real drama. But I think it's even more impressive to take a very familiar dramatic structure and infuse it with real actual comedy that really works within the characters and actually makes you laugh. And that's what Killing Eve does. Uh, I just wanted to include the coda to the show because I feel like this exchange between Carolyn and Eve is sort of sums up everything that the first episode has been about. So Eve is fired. She gets visited at her home by Carolyn, who's the head of the Moscow operation, who essentially recruits her to become a spy, thus sending the series into motion. And this is uh, their last exchange. Buy some milk. Oh, oh. Or you think you're having an affair. Oh, I don't think he'd ever think that. They all think we're having affairs before they think we're secret agents. Oh, no, I think Nico would assume I was an agent before ever thinking that I was having an affair. You might want to make him think you're having an affair then. Hope to see you Thursday. <laughs> this is such a great send-off into the rest of the series, and it sort of sums up everything that the show has been about. This idea of people being underestimated, the way that we look at someone and make assumptions about them. You know, Eve is talking about, well, my husband would never think I could be a secret agent. He'd think I'm having an affair first. And here's this other woman who's saying to her, like, challenge that idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your guide. I'm going to pull you into this new world, and you'll discover things about yourself you could never have guessed. Um, so much of the writing on the show is that it just does so much at the same time. It's it's funny, it's exciting, it's dramatic, and it's also incredibly smart. I was so, so impressed with it. And, and um, this episode is an expertly written, beautiful acted, and uh, awesomely directed 45 minutes of television. It's one of the best and most ingenious pilots I've ever encountered. I feel like if you were taking a course in TV writing, this is the pilot that they should show you because it just does everything a pilot needs to do, but it does it so expertly and in such an entertaining way. And that is why I am submitting this episode. Nice face to the canon. Should I start? Yes. Sure. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I'll go first and then Dave can go because I think this is Sarah's first ever episode of Killing Eve, if I am not mistaken. You are mistaken. Oh, I really watched it. Well, then you can go second. Um, I, uh, I, I wanted to bring up that um, Sandra O oh was on Close Up with the Hollywood Reporter. I think last night, last month, on the um, drama actresses, TV drama actresses episode, and talked about how she got the script and read, you know, the first few pages and thought that she was being considered for Helena. <laughs> Until they were like, no, you're you would be Eve because, and sort of used that as a jumping off point to like how much 
this industry like lowers women's own expectations of what's going to be asked of them. Like even for her after 10 years on Grey's Anatomy that she thought she might be playing this very tertiary part in this show is like remarkable, especially after you watch it and think like she's so good. (laughs) Like she's just you can't imagine anyone else playing this part after you see her in it. She's so great. And I know there's a post on Vulture, which I'll look up and I'll link that in the show notes too about the um the wardrobe on the show and how hard they had to work to make her look frumpy. Like in the first <laughs> in the first scene where she comes to the office on Saturday, like one half of her collar is out, the other is inside her jacket, her shirt is buttoned wrong. Like they had to <laughs> like crumple up her clothes, put them in the dryer, like step on them and stuff just to make her look less you know gorgeous and elegant than she is in actuality so the the care that they've put into this character is is very evident on screen and adam i barely can add anything to what you've said this is such an excellent case for an amazing episode that's that's exactly what you want in a pilot and nothing that you don't like there's not a bit of fat on it um watching it the second time i was i was reminded how much uh, seeing the pilot the first time and watching the series made me want to watch everything else that Jodie Comer's ever done, which I haven't, but I, I'm sure I will because she's she's so good. And the way she creates this character who's like a magpie of human behavior, like <laughs> picking up things that she sees around her and like trying things out and the whole bit with the um, with the throw that she gets in uh, from the the Italian guy that she kills after like she asks him before she kills him. Hey, where who made that? <laughs> who made that throw on your bed and then gets one for herself? Um, is is great um, slash relatable. Um, <laughs> I also want to give a shout out to Darren Boyd who plays Frank. He was in the uh, the episode of Veep that I presented for the canon a while back. Uh, the episode where they're in England, um, and he's the counterpart that sort of. Uh, the antagonist to to Selena in that episode. And um, he's, he's so funny. And the, the way that he, he helps uh, bring out the idea of like this, it, as you say, Adam, with like subverting the expectations of what a thriller is that this office isn't like a sleek, you know, a million touch screens everywhere showing you all <laughs> everything. Like it just looks like it looks like Dunder Mifflin. It looks totally boring. And in the first, the the conflict in his first scene seems to be that he knows they were all out at a birthday party that he didn't get invited to. And he's miffed about it is <laughs> like, again, it tells you everything you need to know about his character. A, that he's still pissy about it and be like, well, that's why you didn't get invited because <laughs> you're a dick. Um, <clears throat> he's uh, he's great. And, and I just, I, there's not much else to say. Everything you said is is in your presentation. It's an it's an amazing show. If you somehow haven't watched it yet, you you must. Everyone within the sound of my voice. Um, and this episode is uh, is is what sets it all in motion. Sarah, um, I don't have a ton to add either. I am really glad that you included that clip of um, her wailing for help because I think that one of the show's many gifts is. Um, seeing through the trope to how people would actually respond yeah to extraordinary situations which is what like it sort of elevates this past a brit cedral which it's a extremely good brit cedral but it's also more than that um and because it is a european show i appreciate that in uh shows of this type like when a trope is being subverted the writing does not feel the need to stand back and make a bunch of asterisks with its little laser pointer and be like look we have a you know 
this is an unusual situation for a d- bunch of ladies to find themselves like, okay, you know, that we, we get it. Uh, we're just enjoying watching it and being at the center of it. Um, so I really liked that about it. When I was watching the pilot, uh, Adam, I had the exact same experience as you that like my entire Twitter feed was full of killing Eve for weeks. And then people I knew personally were like, you need to start watching, like texting me in the middle of the night after marathoning it themselves <laughs> and being like, so it's bunt nip. I still haven't finished it because I started it. And then the Beeb like pulled the episodes off their website and I was having trouble finding it. And then they had a marathon. So the last half of the season is waiting for me on my DVR. I'm super excited about it. I knew that this would be Dave Nip because it's the guy from the bridge. Um, oh, as Constantine, yeah. that I was mm-hmm. like, why does that guy look familiar? Oh, yeah. yeah. It- <laughs> but also the way he escalates the, the language of that scene, good. Also good. Very good. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not yeah. so good. Bad. Yeah, it's great. I love the rhythm of that. And just like that everyone looks like real people and that. Europe understands in a way that American TV doesn't like that normal is hot and not everyone has to look like they were extruded in a factory. Um, TV is getting a little better about this. It is one of the things I like about uh, Lodge 49, as I said. Um, But yes, I, I really was apprehensive watching the pilot for the first time. Because it was like, oh boy, like this is, what if this is one of those things that I'm really supposed to like and I only kind of like it? Like, what if I only think that it's like a B and I don't want to keep going and, you know, am I dead inside? Um, Maybe I am, but it's not because I didn't like Killing Eve. I loved it. Um, (laughs) This is an excellent presentation that gets at everything that is great and uh, different about this show and uh, to be treasured about uh phoebe Waller-Bridge and her whole cast everyone is everyone is great and um i thought i'd heard all the insults that were compounds of the word dick i had not <laughs> welcome to the roster dick swab make yourself at home dave cole uh yeah i think adam's argument uh covered most of the ground so i'll just talk about some stuff that i think that is just for, like icing on the cake um, is the density of the pilot so much happens in this pilot without seeming too rushed, too forced, or too expositional? Like there's multiple assassinations, there is a lot of you know detective work, there's a lot of uh, co-worker relationship. You know, pegs are are staked, and it doesn't seem unnatural or forced, or that it's too much for a pilot and. Adam, you were saying that, you know, this is classroom material. Her other pilot on Fleabag, which is also in the canon, was similarly well-constructed. So she seems to have a gift for how to present, start and present a universe that doesn't seem too foreign by the end of that season. You know, sometimes you have a pilot and you really can see the changes that happened you know, from episode one to episode 10 or whatever. But this one seems like they were very assured in everything they were doing uh, character wise. More superficially, there is a lot of travel porn kind of stuff in here. You know, a lot of great locations that they visit throughout the series. You know, the the opening shot in Vienna and the ice cream place just beautifully shot and just looks so 
uh, exotic to somebody in North America. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just like you don't get that here. So it's sort of like almost like a like a travel log porn show within a spy thriller. Um, similarly, I think a lot of the kind of the fashion and commerce porn stuff that the uh, Villeneuve brings into it because she's sort of a high class fashion enjoyer <laughs> and uh <laughs> and uh it's just like it's all these things just add up to such a like well-crafted production that uh supports the excellent writing and the excellent character development in this series uh probably by was it this calendar year this was yeah. released mm-hmm. yeah so yes I, I, i'm pretty sure this is gonna end up being my favorite show of 2018 it was just really great watch from 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 uh, start to end i'm a little bit bummed to find out next see next season of killing eve she won't be quite as hands-on uh phoebe waller bridge because she had to kind of yeah. choose between this and fleabag but you know that's sort of like a it's a wash right and both shows are really great you know she can only head up one so you know she she picked and and you know i would probably be equally sad if she wasn't doing fleabag so um you know we just you know, beyond cloning her and having her do both. I mean, you just gotta, gotta do a Sophie's choice there. So, um, yeah, great episode. Well argued. And somehow if you've missed killing Eve, um, you know, rectify that, start watching it. If you're not sold on the pilot, you're not gonna, you know, it's so the show that you're going to get throughout the whole season. Um, so there you go. So shall we put this to a vote? Let's. Yes. All right. Tara, Ariana. Yay. Charity buddy. Yay. Sure. Yay for me too. That means Killing Eve, Series 1, Episode 1, Nice Face. Thank you very much, Britain, for once in your life, giving episodes <laughs> titles. You are hereby inducted into the extra offer again. Uh, Americans love a winner. Yeah. And will not tolerate a loser. Nope. It's time for winner and a loser of the week. Tara has a winner. Cord cutters. Uh, you all know how I feel about these fucking pinkos, but um, <laughs> Jeopardy is streaming for the first time on Hulu. Apparently not current episodes, but the uh, the show has come to the streaming service with a, a, a back catalog of, I think, 60 notable episodes. Uh, so if that was the last thing that was making you keep your direct TV or spectrum membership, that's one less reason for you to keep it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> loser of the week. Uh, that would be talking dead and its viewers. Um, Chris Hardwick had a quote, emotional return to the show barf. And an executive producer and several other staffers quit. Um, someone else hired those people post haste. And uh, Hardwick eat some bees. Speaking about eating bees, you know what time it is? <laughs> bee time. <laughs> bee time. <laughs> all right, everybody. I hope you all bought your bee game because this is the sixth <laughs> game time. Of the season. Here are the season scores. Tara has three. Sarah has one. Value guess have one. That's right. Today we are playing pros and comic cons from Will Hutting, plural, who earns himself an extra credit. Sorry, Will. Uh, redeemable for an extra hot, great mini topic of his choosing. Will writes, 
It seems like comic book adaptations are everywhere these days. And while they have definitely exploded over the past few years, this is hardly a new trend. Producers have been adapting shows from comic books for decades, and there are no signs of stopping. That is true. Will has put together a list of 51 TV shows adapted from comic books. You need to tell me the title of the show based on his clues, which are many. You get <laughs> the year it debuted, the network it debuted on, and a description of the show. And just for funsies, for some reason, he put him in haiku form. <laughs> okay. Let me get the year, the network, like and a haiku synopsis of the show. For mm -hmm. two points, name the show. If you're still not sure of yourself, ask for a hint. I'll give you the lead actor, after which the correct answer is worth one point. Okay. All right. Steel meal yep. situation, please, Tara. Thank you for asking. Sarah D. Bunting has two steel meals. I have one valued guest. Sorry, Adam. Have zero. Oh, that's a shame. Oh. All right. Let's start with um, the may I, may I ask, if you take a swing on the two points nope. and you miss it, do you get to nope. ask for the hint? No. Don't. Okay. We will start with Tara. All right. Tara, Sarah, Adam is our order today. Are we ready to play commie, uh, pros and commie cons? <laughs> yeah. Pink right. and commie cons? Yes. Got it. Here we go. Tara. And we're going in chronological order to give you sort of a sense of where you are in the TV world. So I thought that might okay. help you out a bit. So we're starting right. way back in 1952. This syndicated show. Great. Described mm -hmm. as such. And uh, by the way, uh, last time we did a haiku game, there were some that were like, eight syllables according to some people i didn't count them all so if if somebody <laughs> if you feel like the syllables are off like take it up with will okay i'm logic truthers <laughs> not well it's <laughs> just gonna say sketch of truthers oh. <laughs> disguised by glasses a mild-mannered reporter look up in the sky superman yeah i'm gonna give you that uh, the further back in time we go, the more generous I'm going to be with the actual title of the shows. That's The Adventures of Superman with George Oh, okay. Reeves. The one that Ben Affleck played the guy. The Hollywood land, yes. himself or whatever, yeah. Sarah D. George Bunting, your Reeves. First, your Thank first you. show. <clears throat> uh, 1966, jumping 14 years ahead. This was uh, originally on ABC. Na, 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 na. Na, 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 title drop. <laughs> Uh, Batman. Batman <laughs> is good for two points. Adam Sturberg's first question. Uh, accelerated now to the 70s. Uh, we have 75 ABC. Amazon Princess. From War to the 70s. Invisible Plane. Dun, 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 Wonder Woman. You know, Wonder Woman, every time we talk about wonder woman i don't actually think about wonder woman or the lasso or the twirling i think about the computer ira <laughs> yeah they had a jewish supercomputer it was weird uh tara ariano yeah. also 1970 oh this is 1974 so oh, i guess my okay. chronological order was a little bit of a white lie all right going back one year cbs a boy and his mentor drive around in an rv say the magic word and before Boy we get into his... things that aren't superheroes I want to remind you these are all comic book adaptations not necessarily just superheroes yeah no no I got it um hint uh, Michael Gray was a lead in this 1974 uh, comic book I'll, adaptation uh, I don't know Johnny Quest I know that's not right 
Incorrect. That is uh, also an upcoming movie, Shazam. Shazam. Say the magic word. The magic word being Shazam. Got it. In conclusion, Shazam. (laughs) 1977 CBS, Sarah. News photographer bitten by an arachnid. Jameson, a nice guy? (laughs) Uh, Spider-Man? Yeah, I'm going to give that to you. Full title, The Amazing Spider-Man. Yes. I'm sorry. Adam Sternberg, 78, CBS. Lonely wanderer. Wouldn't like when he's angry. Sadly, hitchhiking. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to have to say The Incredible Hulk. Yes, correct. <laughs> That's what I went. <laughs> There we go. <laughs> I would just like to say that I have literally and personally watched every single show that we've mentioned so far. Wow. So I would like to thank you for choosing a game time where I actually have a fighting chance, at least until we get into like the 90s and stuff. Even the original This was Superman? my childhood, basically. I don't want to get a little Even- too inside baseball, but I had another game lined up and I looked at it and I thought, oh, Sternberg sends absolutely no chance at this one. <laughs> We'll play in a couple of weeks, probably. So switch gears to the uh, comic book adaptation one. So it was a little bit deliberate, but I think um, these are all relatively well-known shows for the most part. There's a couple of gotchas in here. So I think this is a, a pretty even keel for this week. Adam, uh, I believe, too, that The Incredible Hulk is one of your least favorite comic book stars. He Characters. is one of my, and and he is one. In fact, it, the, it, not to get into it, but like there's an inverse relationship to comic book heroes I liked as a kid and comic book heroes who are prominent in pop culture <laughs> right now. Because probably my three least, least favorite were The Incredible Hulk, Thor, and Doctor and I- Strange. Oh, I thought Iron Man. And Iron Man too. All of them were bad for reasons I could get into at a later date. Okay. <laughs> Weren't you a Daredevil person? I like Daredevil, Batman, X-Men. I mean, they also are prominent. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's no way that, like, a nerd from the 70s can complain that, like, comic books aren't big enough in our culture right now. <laughs> the various – they don't have a Creeper movie yet. <laughs> but it's – yes, the Hulk the – Hulk, the fact that they've made the Hulk and Thor, like, entertaining characters to watch in a full-length movie is kind of like a weird magic trick performed by Kevin Feige and, and Mark because <laughs> those characters are actually terrible. All right. Uh, I just remember there was a frog Thor at some point in in comic books. There's like a horse, a horse creature Thor. It gets a little weird. Anyways, let's get back to the game. Tar Ariano, 1989, zooming ahead 11 years, HBO anthology Mm -hmm. show hosted by Ghoulish Muppet. Creepy tales, bad puns. Uh, Is this Tales from the Crypt? Tales from the Crypt. Good for two points. Sarah Bunting, 1990, USA Network. Freak lab accident. Scientist now living plant lives in the wetlands. Scientist now living plant. Yeah. Hint. <laughs> Hint. Uh, starring Dick Durock. <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, is my new star. name. Please now for the rest of the show <laughs> refer to me Durock. as Dick Durock. Thanks for the tip, Dick. Um, I don't know the Adventures of Audrey. But I can't. I cannot. Steal, you can. Right? You can't I, get no. a point. But please tell us what it is. Yes. Swamp thing. Swamp thing. Ah. All right, Adam. Here's your actual he question. Plant. Real points. Yes, he's made of plants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 1990. Also, CBS. Forensic expert struck by lightning can run fast. Scientist girlfriend. 
forensic expert, 1990. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know who I want to say. Mm-hmm. The Flash. You are correct. With your good friend, Sarah and uh, Tara, John Wesley Ship. Yes. Wesley. 1993, <laughs> Tara. ABC. Yep. Old tale rom-com spin. Hero, reporter, in love. Her clone ate a frog. <laughs> I believe this is The Adventures of Lois and Clark. Yeah, that's close or, enough. Or just Lois and Clark. <laughs> Lois and Clark, colon, the, adventure, the new adventures of Superman. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. Settle down, ABC. <laughs> Sarah Bunting, 96, ABC. Enchanting young girl lives with two magic aunts and a talking cat. Uh, Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Correct. Nice. All right, Adam Sternberg. We're going to find out how many episodes back Adam Sternberg has been listening to the podcast. 1997, <laughs> in syndication, jazz saxophonist hears <laughs> evil thoughts of others. Big, goofy, red eye. <laughs> okay. I definitely had heard you talking about this show. I have been trying to seek it out and watch it myself. I want to say it's called Nightman. Yeah. Nightman. You bet yes. your booty it is. <laughs> I don't know how I missed that when it was on television because that is that is my wheelhouse, that show. Um, I live inside you have to that buy house. it. You have to really like oh, want to watch it. You have to buy it on iTunes. That's right. It may not have aired in Canada, too. That's also part of it because it was in syndication. Canada. It definitely yes. was a uh, WUTV Buffalo Channel 29 TV show, yeah, yeah. if ever yeah. there was one. There was twenty percent of me that when you were talking about it, I thought that maybe you were still on cold medication, <laughs> and you were just sometimes I think about show. sometimes I think about Nightman, and I'm just like I just I just smile and I think to myself, you know, sometimes the world just sort of like makes sense and things happen for a reason. And that reason is I'm I'm delighted decades later. It's just a fantastic <laughs> thing that happened. Uh, 1997 ABC Tara, yep, future officer protecting our history, policing his past. Oh, no. I'm just letting um, you know we're getting into a few hard ones for everybody. You're okay. towards the end of uh, the ramp round one, let's call it. I would expect nothing less from Dick Durock. <laughs> <laughs> Hint. All right. Your lead is Ted King. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> mm, the greatest American hero. Not the correct answer. Is not the correct answer. Anybody want to take a guess? Nope. That one I don't know. All right. Uh, also turned into a movie with Jaglan Vedam. Time Cop? Time Cop. I assume it's the wow. same source material. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Time Cop. 1998, Sarah. In syndication. Undead musician avenging his dead girlfriend. Brought back by Blackbird. Undead musician. Yeah. <sighs> Hint. Uh, uh, Mark Dalla Dacalos. Oh, <laughs> of the intercourse Dacalos. <laughs> um, I I don't know. Uh, Jazz man. No, incorrect. The hint there was Blackbird. That was the Crow. Colon uh, Stairway to Heaven. But we would have accepted just the Crow. All right, Adam Sturberg, here is our question. It's going to take us into our first score break. 1999, a number. Uh, Fox, 
Army lieutenant trapped in a virtual world hunting dictator. Army lieutenant trapped in a virtual world hunting dictator. This is going to be one of those answers where you're not probably not going to get it. But once I say what it is, you're like, oh, yeah, that th- those three years where all those shows happened. Uh, oh, wait, is it like a Y2K show? 1999 uh, Trapped Fox. in a virtual world. God, again, in my wheelhouse. Um, I'm just going to take a guess at what I would title this show if I was a Fox executive in 1998. <laughs> okay. Killing Hitler. <laughs> it's uh, one of the many, how can we replicate the X-Files success comic book adaptations? Harsh Realm. Oh, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. That guy yes. from Farty of Pive. And that show. Uh, brother, sister show to Spooky Links. What was it Freaky called? Links. Yeah. Spooky Links. All right, Freaky that's links. our first score break. Let's hear it. Well, Adam is running away with this with eight points. Just kidding. It's pretty close. Sarah and I have six points each. All right. That means Tara and Sarah, you are both in the Equalizer Challenge Zone. <gasps> Good luck, guys. <laughs> he turns on, puts on his glasses, turns on his light. So <laughs> we're playing for four points, of which you will split for two points each. Correct. If you get so half tie it of up. these six Trivial Pursuit TV card questions. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. Classics. Now, this was not planned. What superhero became the first alien to star in a weekly TV series in 1953? Were you paying attention? <laughs> Was it Superman? <laughs> sitcom. Hey. Sitcom. Who once asked Ozzy Nelson, how can I get a permanent if you won't tell me whether you want me to or not? I don't need to tell me that I can't say that word because I know. Okay. Uh, Harriet? It's Ozzy and Harriet, right? Yeah, Harriet. Harriet Nelson is your answer? Yes. yes. Drama. Get this and you have two points each. What family focus series spanned Christmas 1933 to Thanksgiving 1947? I'm going to say the Waltons. I agree. All right. Hey! Got your two points now. Remember, if you run the card, we're double your uh, your points. Kids and games. Okay. Yep. What mouse's tail did X-rated animator Ralph Bashy update, update in the late 80s? What mouse's tail did X-rated animator Ralph Bashke update in the late 80s? Um, I know that's the Fritz the Cat guy. I don't know if there's a mouse. Or should we just say Mickey Mouse like he did a porny Mickey Mouse? I, yeah, I don't know if it's Ignatz. Yeah, th- let's just say Mickey Mouse. Okay. <laughs> Damn Mighty it. Mouse. Did Mighty oh. Mouse. Yeah. All right. Well, right, you well, got we your stop. two points, but not your four points. So quickly, nope. uh, that's all tied up, right? Yes. All tied up. All right. Here we go. Question 16. Tara Ariano. Yep. 2001. We're now in the aughts. TNT. Okay. Cop finds old bracelet pursued by creepy rich guy. Gets magic powers. Wait, let me say that last line. Gets magic powers. TNT. TNT. Hint. Hint. All right. This is a good hint. Yancey okay. Butler. Is it? Well, oh, um, oh God. Was this, uh, which, was it which blade? 
Wow. Oh, <laughs> what nice. a journey you went on, Tara. <laughs> That's, uh, that was great. I'm going to give you a day point for that, too, because I found that surprising <laughs> that you got that right. Sarah D. Bunting, also 2001, our first show from the WB. Before the Red Cape, weirdness happens in small town, but no flight, no tights. <laughs> oh, Smallville. Smallville. Omar. Adam Sternberg, your first question from the new millennium on Fox, 2001. Big blue guy and friends hanging out in a diner. Heroes don't do much. Uh, the tick. The tick. Correct. Tara Ariano, 2002, the WB. Batman's grown daughter. Paralyzed vigilante. Team up to fight crime. Birds of prey. Birds of prey, correct. Sarah Bunting, 2006, Spike TV. Spike TV around anymore? Did they rename? No, it's the Paramount Network. Paramount Paramount now. Half human, half vamp. Trails Secret Society. Named after his swords. (laughs) Blue. Hint. All right, your lead actor is Sticky Fingers. Of course. Yeah. What? That's what this is. The intercourse Sticky Fingers. (laughs) 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 The East Hampton Fingerses. Um, Half half human, half vamp. Trail Secret Society, named after his sorts. I don't know if this is a thing, but from dusk till dawn? Oh, that's a good guess. Mm. Incorrect. This is Blade. Oh, there was a show of From Dust Till Dawn. It was there on, was though. Okay, Matador yeah. or something. That, that... <laughs> oh yes, El Ray, El Ray, El Ray. Yeah. 2010. <laughs> Adam, AMC Post Apocalypse Survivors Band Together. Watch out for Walkers. Walking Dead. Walking Dead. Sure. 2010. Also, Tara on Fox. Mm-hmm. Yep. Former assassin protects people who need it. By drawing the fire. Uh, Int? Mark Paul Valley. Mm, not Gotham is my answer. Mm, <laughs> well, not Gotham. Te- technically correct in the Cliff Clavin <laughs> three guys never been in my kitchen kind of way, but uh, that is human target. Oh. Human target. Oh, yeah, that thing. Sarah D. Bunting, 2012, The CW, former castaway, bow, shirtless, salmon ladder, in quotes, you've failed this city. Bow, shirtless, salmon ladder. Bow, shirtless, salmon ladder? Yeah, like the fish. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh- the salmon ladder is like a, it's an American ninja thing where you like project your you look uh, it up you've, you're, you've, you've killed the wonder alright let me read that okay, again sorry. for you so, uh, <laughs> for, uh, former castaway Bo shirtless salmon ladder you've failed this city can I you spell s- Bo please Sarah do you want me to spell Bo for you okay sorry uh, wouldn't hurt B-O-W oh yeah that that would help Thank you. I was like, Bo, B-A-E-A-U? Like, what? What is that? That's why I asked. Oh, shit. Um, And I never remember the lead actor's name anyway, so I'm just going to guess that this is Arrow. Thanks, Tara. Welcome. I hope you win by one point now, Sarah. Adam Sternberg, (laughs) 
I won't. 2013 ABC. He survived Loki. Leads a team of super spies tied to the movies. Uh, it's, uh, I want to say the title correctly. Is it Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? No. You Is forgot it all the periods? No. It's Marvel's it a- Agent of S-H-I-E-L-D. <laughs> <laughs> I Tar Ariadne, 1914 yes. Fox. One Wait, good what detect- year? 1914. I mean, yeah, 1914. (laughs) A rocket flies into the One good detective, corrupt cops, and crime bosses predates the bat suit. 1914 on Fox Entertainment Channel Vision. A flatbush. Now available at your local Nickelodeon. Go see it. This is only a nickel. Not human target. Gotham. Uh, Yeah. That was Gotham. That was, in fact, in case you missed it, 2014. Sarah D. Bunting, 2014, the CW. He ran, sorry, the CW ran faster than light. He broke the timeline again. God damn it, Barry. (laughs) The Flash. Yes, the second The Flash answer of our game. Adam Sternberg, 2014, NBC. Brit Demon Hunter, caught between heaven and hell, hopes to save his soul. Uh, I believe that was the ill-fated TV Constantine. Correct. I think they brought him back, right? He's in Legends yeah. of Tomorrow now or something. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Tara Ariano. Yes, sir. 2015 ABC. Yep. Post-war USA. Bought spies. Patriarchy. More than just Caps X. Agent Carter. Agent Carter, correct. Sarah D. Bunting, 2015, Netflix, Netflix. Teenage trillionaire made fuel from vegetables. Cue wacky hijinks. Comic book adaptation, Netflix, 2015. Teenaged millionaire. Trillionaire. Trillionaire, excuse me. <laughs> trillionaire. Um, Hint. Jake Brennan is your lead. Jake Brennan. Jake. Brennan. Brennan. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, Let the I... wide stick give you the edge. <laughs> Speed stick, super dry, <laughs> antiperspirant. Jake Brennan, thank you. Um, by Wesson. I, I don't know this one. Mm. Wesson Man? Richie Rich. Richie oh, Rich. Fuck off. All right, this We're is going to take us to our second score break. This is question 30. It is 2015 Netflix. Sightless Attorney. Fighting crime in red leather. Hallway ass kicking. Uh, this is for me, yes? Yeah. It is Daredevil. It is Daredevil, correct. Fine and it is our second story. All right. Adam is still in the lead with 18 points. I have 15 points. Sarah has 14 points. All right, Sarah, this is yours and yours alone. You are in the Grossworth Equalizer Challenge Zone. <laughs> I am so happy. Here we go. Classics. What TV buddies were played by Bob Denver and Dwayne Hickman? What TV buddies were played by Bob Denver and Dwayne Hickman? Uh, Gilligan and the Skipper? Menard G. Krebs and Dobie Gillis. (laughs) Sitcoms. 
Menard. Hmm? It's Maynard. It's not oh, yeah, Menard. It is Man- yeah, it is Maynard. You're right. I know. Once again, Bugport Menards. <laughs> uh, Menards of uh, California. Great department store. Sitcoms. What was the first sitcom to treat viewers to the sound of a flushing toilet? I think we've had this card before. Or this question before, anyway. The sound of a flushing toilet? Oh, first sitcom to treat the viewers to the sound of a flushing toilet. I think this was in the uh, the first TV pack we did. Yeah, yeah, I think all it was. In, all in the family? Yeah, all in the family. Correct. Nice. <sighs> Drama. What soap opera featured cameos by Oprah Winfrey, Dick Cavett, Ed Koch, and Liz Taylor? Uh, General Hospital. All my children. All my children. Oh, sure. Kids and games. What shows folks love to hunt the Snorkosaurus? The Snorkosaurus? Snorkosaurus. The Snorks? I don't know. I don't know. Snorkosaurus. Dinosaurs. The Flintstones. All right. You need these last two to claim your points. (laughs) 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 Who left Gunsmoke, then in quotes, to be a leading man instead of a second banana? What actor? Clint Eastwood. Sorry, this is stars. Dennis <laughs> Weaver. Dennis Weaver. Our last oh, question. The answer was out. Menard. Wow. What are the odds? All right. Ready to get back into the game? Still a yes. lot of game left, guys. So, you know, okay. if you're behind, plenty of time to catch up. We start with Tara. 2015. It was funny that the first, like, five decades took up, like, the first 15 questions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 2015, the CW. Undead coroner. Brains change personality. Memories solve crimes. I zombie. I zombie. 2015 CBS. Sarah D. Bunting followed her cousin, a hero in her own right, works for a Martian. <sighs> Was it really 2015? Supergirl. Adam Sternberg, also 2015. Netflix. Private detective was traumatized by her past, hits hard, drinks harder. Jessica Jones. 2016, Tara, The CW. Good guys and bad guys, bouncing throughout history. Don't call them heroes. Legends of Tomorrow. Sarah D. Bunting, 2016, (laughs) Fox. Devil in L.A. runs his own nightclub downtown. And he fights crime now. Lucifer? Ugh, yeah. You know, that's That's on Netflix now. I've I've been seeing tweets about it. Like, who wanted that? Such a good comic book. That comic book is, like, really, really, really good. And the show is, like, fucking, like, it's, like, one step above Future Cop with Ernest Borgnine. It's... (laughs) (laughs) Can't believe that wasn't on here. To be clear, Netflix is making new episodes. I do not know why. Yeah. Who knows? Adam Sternberg, 2016, our first show on the Siffy Network, otherwise known as Sci-Fi. Lawman's Descendant, 
defends hometown from demons with a magic gun. Oh, it's um, Winona Earp. You are correct. Thank a you. Favorite of past guest Mo Ryan. Yeah, totally. That show's champion for sure. Tara Ariano, 2016 AMC. Small town minister. Killer girlfriend. Vampire pal. Trying to find God. Preacher. Preacher. Sarah D. Bunting, 2016 Siffy Network. Woke up from coma. World overrun by vampires. Her blood can cure them. Hint. Kelly Overton. I'm going to guess Vancouver's own Kelly Overton. Yeah, based the on Black the Box Chronicles. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. Uh, apparently there is a series for Van Helsing. Oh, yeah. Oh, that yeah. <laughs> but this time she's a lady. Right. <laughs> Adam Sternberg, 2016 Netflix. Ex-con turned hero. Bullet hole ridden hoodies. Cop with robot arm. Oh, um, I haven't watched this show, and I thought I knew it until the very last line. Cop with robot arm. Uh, I'm going to guess Luke Cage. Correct. Is there a cop with a robot arm in yeah, that show? Yeah, one, one of the characters loses an arm, and uh, Iron Fist sets them up. With Haiku a, spoilers. Yeah, sorry. I was trying to be <laughs> vague. Uh, 2017, The CW. Dark take on small town. Serpents and jingle jangle. Bughead and Varchie. Riverdale. Dirty Bunting 2017 FX. The Professor's Son. Schizophrenic Telepath. Fighting Shadow King. Oh, I'm not going to remember the name of this, but why not take a hint anyway? All right. Your uh, lead actor is Dan Stevens, and the title of this TV show uh, is also shared by one of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> Which I think we watched with Adam in our apartment in New York. Oh, many no years doubt. Ago. Oh, yes. <clears throat> Bring It On was a comic book? <laughs> I do not know the answer to this question. All right. The answer is Legion. Legion. Uh, Pigeon. All right, Adam. 2017 Netflix. <laughs> Rich Kid in Plane Crash. Destin Martial Arts Hero. Screws up royally. Iron Fist. <laughs> All right, Ariano. Yes. Also 2017, also Netflix. Yep. Four heroes team up, protecting New York City. Fist, still a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> the <Nice>. Defenders. <laughs> All right, Sarah D. Bunting, bring us into our last score break. Nin Wait, no. 1917 plus 100 years. Yeah, sorry. This is the next question. This is the score break, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Yep. Uh, 2017 Amazon Big Blue Crime Fighter Guy in a High Tech Moth Suit Crazy Old Villain The Tick Yes, the second The Tick Alright, this is our last question before the last score break Adam Sternberg 2017 A, B, C City on the Moon Super Powered Royalty Teleporting Dog Oh, man, that sounds like you just read that off somebody's fridge magnet poetry collection. <laughs> um, 
city on the moon, teleporting dog. Also ABC. sounds like things Jasper would say after he came out of the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> this is a show that's on ABC now, huh? Um, um, well, teleporting maybe. Dog it was at that time. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, hint, please. Anson Mount. The Bounty. Ooh. I have no idea. It's it called Arcadia? Mm. That was Inhumans. Inhumans. Oh, yeah. Everyone hated it. That's all I remember. Oh, yeah. that. Yes. All right. <laughs> uh, everybody has uh, two questions left. Let's well, get the score. Still- okay. It's a very close game. Adam has 26 points. I have 25 points. Sarah Debunting has 20 points. 20 points. That means... Oh! Keep Elijah Collins up. You're in it. Here we go. Classics. Glexer. Who was the first person to star, direct, produce, and write his own series in 1952? Jackie Gleason. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to get it for a second. Nope. Sorry. Jack <laughs> Webb. Jack Webb. <laughs> oh. I was like, holy shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, instant no, win. Come on. <laughs> Sitcom. What? M asterisk A asterisk S asterisk H character kept trying to get a section eight mental discharge. Clinger. Clinger. One point. You need two more for the points. Drama. What ABC drama did Newsweek say is the big chill as it might have been made by Woody Allen? <laughs> 30 something. <gasps> Kids and games. Who was bald-headed? Kukla, Fran, or Ollie? Oh, shit. Uh, Ollie. Kukla. Ah! What, what are those? Puppets, I think. Okay. I think so, yeah. Stars. What is the answer? Kukla. Oh. I, just, I, didn't, I don't know what they are. What show that's from or anything. I think they were puppets from... It's an old children's show from like the 1950s. Or, <laughs> the Kenneth and Ollie. Yeah, that's, that was the title. Oh, okay. I knew that. I just... I've never yeah, seen Yeah, I it. did know. I just oh, okay. wasn't... Never watched it. Yeah. What... This is uh, Stars. What future talk show host got his big break when he filled in on short notice for an unconscious red skeleton? <laughs> For an unconscious red skeleton? Yeah. Future <laughs> uh, talk show. Uh, Phil Donahue? Oh. Johnny Carson. All right. Oh. You need this last question to get your points. This is wild card. What watch was hyped in TV ads? It takes a lick and it keeps on ticking. Freebie. Uh, yeah, that is. I'm actually wearing one right now. That's a Timex. It is a Timex. So you got two more points. So quickly scores again. Okay. Wait, do I get two or four? She gets four. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Four. Yeah. My bad. Uh, Adam has 26 points. I have 25 points. Sarah has 24 ah! points. Four points, but take back two points. The honor the Hebrew God whose game time this is. <laughs> so. Tar Ariano. Uh, <laughs> 2017 Fox Mutant Family Running from the Government An Explosive Pair Oh no What was this called? We watched it I think what it is It's still called I think uh, Yeah no it still is But I mean we stopped watching it uh-huh. uh, Therefore it has ceased uh, to exist uh, Telling me that I know what show it is Telling me it's Star won't help 
the family. I know that's mm. not it. The gifted. The barf. Oh, yeah. Sarah D. Bunting, 2017, Netflix and Channel 4. Ooh. Two Brit teenagers. He may be a psychopath. Road trip cross England. Oh, damn it. I, I know what this is, and the star will not help. The family. <laughs> <laughs> of the Gennaborgport families. I do not know the answer to this question. The end of the fucking world. End oh, the- right. Yes. Shit. Adam Sternberg, 2017 sci-fi. Hero mm-hmm. cop turned hitman. Invisible unicorn. Hunting bad Santa. Oh, yeah. uh, this one I know. It's happy. It is happy. There Correct. you go. Man. Tara Ariano, 2017 Hulu. Hulu. Mm-hmm. Yep. Six young teens hang out. Learn parents are in a cult and they have powers. Runaways? Runaways, correct. Well done. Nice. Sarah D. Bunting, Netflix 2017. X Special Forces. Family killed, wants revenge. Lots of dead bad guys. <laughs> Hint. John Burthenthal. Burnthal. 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 <laughs> Burnthal? Burnthal. Burnthal? <laughs> that sounds like a Game of Thrones name. Of Burn- the Long Beach. You know nothing, John Burnthal. Uh, is this the Punisher? <laughs> this, is, this is the Punisher. All right, here's our last question for Adam. 2018. The CW. Ex-hero teacher. Then his kids are in danger. Makes shocking comeback. Oh, um... This is Black Lightning. Black Lightning, correct oh, for yeah. two points. That is our last question. Tara, the scores. Well, Sarah ended with 25 points. I had 27 points. Adam D. Sternberg had 30 points. Wow. Nicely done, Ooh. Adam. Taking Adam. it for value guess. Let's he play what we're going to be. <laughs> what was that? He said he ate that Sternberger. Oh, no. Well, think about what that means <laughs> in house language. That's disgusting. Yes. All right. Uh, I have two tiebreaker questions, which are now going to be played for future use steel meals. First okay. person to shout out the correct name of the show wins that steel meal. All right. Question one, yes. 2018 sci-fi. Please wait until I'm finished the haiku. Legend's ancestor fights to save his whole planet. It still go boom. Krypton? Krypton. Job, Tara. 2018 Freeform. Two teens meet by chance, connected by accident. Light and the darkness. Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger for the good value job. guess. Nice. That's supposed to be good. Tara. Tara. No. No. Adam one. Adam one. <laughs> oh, yeah. valued guest guest. oops how embarrassing (laughs) sorry adam well done uh that is it for another episode of extra hot great guys uh and maynard we did the secret handshake to start our discussion of amc's lodge 49 
And after wishing a fine mahawk to you all, we went around the dial with stops at Insecure, Babylon Berlin, Newspaper Man, and 4K TV interfaces. Adam killed his cannon pitch for the Killing Eve premiere. <laughs> we crowned winners and losers of the week. And Adam... Valued guest. Playing it twice because I screwed up was the winner of this week's <laughs> game time. Remember. We're listening. Ah. Uh, on the, I am. Uh, what's my name? Dick Durock. Durock. Dick Durock. And on behalf of Tar Ariano. Somebody help! Sarah D. Bunting. Signs and symbols, Ernie. And Adam Sternberg. An augury of birds. Thanks for listening. <laughs> and we'll see you next time right here on Extra Hot Crate. I'm going to try to throw up. I suggest you do too. This has been a production of the Previously.TV Podcast Network.